Bills and the Texans here on WGR along the Bills radio network. The Bills will look to improve to 3-1 and one tomorrow at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park. But we're going to go to talk some baseball and some hockey coming up right now as we're joined by our good buddy Pat Malacaro as he joins us from Syracuse on the Western Hotline. Pat, how's Syracuse treating you on this fine Saturday? Oh, it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon here as uh, we get ready to close out the 2021 season. A couple extra weeks of baseball and uh, there are a few places I'd rather be in, in what is now called Triple East than, uh, than Syracuse for sure. Very good. Well, uh, thanks again for taking the time today to to join me here to, to talk some Bisons baseball and some just baseball in general because, well, Pat, the Bisons are one of the best teams in baseball right now. They've won seven straight games in this final stretch that they're calling it for uh, for minor league baseball. Just first off, what what goes into this final stretch here? Is there any sort of implications for for the Bisons with playing this way, or is this just some extra games that the the league gave to every team just so they could get more baseball in? Yeah, this is really due to COVID nineteen in the fact that what we've seen recently, uh, if you follow baseball, the Red Sox had an outbreak um, at the, in, the, in September, late August, where you know, 10, 12 players ended up testing positive and had to be uh, you know put on the COVID injured list. So. To, to, and in baseball this year, the, there's the change. You used to be able to call up any player that was on your 40-man roster um, to your active roster September 1st. The rules changed. Now you can only call up two extra players from September 1st on. So the player pool that teams would have had to be able to pull from if there were a rash of injuries or COVID-19 uh, injured list since over the last two weeks, our season was supposed to end September 19th. Those two weeks, you could have had players sitting at home, not training, and then having to call them off their couch, essentially. So to, to deal with that issue a little bit this year, with the Major League season ending September or October 3rd, uh, the AAA season was extended two extra weeks. Uh, each team played a five-game home series and a five-game road trip. The Bison just happened to play their uh, homestand against Lehigh Valley last week. That's why they're ending in Syracuse this week. There were playoffs for double-A and single-A. They added uh, essentially an extra week on. Um, so Major League Baseball uh, announced this as the final stretch. Uh, it's every team in triple-A baseball. Instead of triple-A East, which the Bisons are a part of in a 20-team league, and triple-A West, which is a 10-team league, now all 30 teams in triple-A baseball are competing for uh, what they're calling a prize. Um, and the Bisons are in second place uh, in, in that with Durham, has won eight games in a row. If they win tonight, they'll clinch uh, the, the, the final stretch win and get the prize. But the Bisons still have a chance. If they can win tonight and tomorrow and Jerome loses two, well, then they'll be the quote-unquote postseason winners. Do you know what that prize happens to be? $75,000 to the winning team. Essentially a playoff share the way that uh, – they do it. Yep. All right. Well, yeah, well, hey, not that's bad. not too bad. Not too bad for minor league baseball, especially. All right, Pat. So, I mean, looking at the Bisons yesterday, they get a 12-1 win over the Syracuse Mets in Syracuse and seven in a row. I mean, just how impressive have the Bisons been, not only just on this stretch, but throughout the season. I mean, they, they won their division what, since, what was the last time they won? 2005, right? Yep. Okay. Exactly. And it's one of those things where we talk a lot about the Toronto Blue Jays and, and what they've had to go through this year because they played in Buffalo in, in June and into July. But we've talked, you and I have talked about it, and some folks have talked about it, but you know, the Bisons, as they broke alternate training camp, uh, which was in April uh, before the minor league season started in May, they really didn't know where they were going to go. 
um, with about a week left to go in the, in the alternate site. So uh, for a team not knowing where its home would be because the Blue Jays were going to have to play in Buffalo and then finding out we're going to Trenton, and we may not be there all season. We may move back to Buffalo. We may, we may not. And, you know, that was still an open question when the season opened for minor league baseball in May. Then to have 29 wins in Trenton, which was at the time the best home record of any team in minor league baseball. Then they come home to Buffalo. They, they've had to go through a lot this year. So for this team to win the Northeast Division, and like you said, win the first division championship in 16 years, I think tells you a lot about the players, the coaching staff, and just how – all the adversity that they went through this year, it can go one of two ways. It can drive, it can, it can force players into you know, a bad mood and not playing well, but it can also galvanize a team and bring them together. And that's exactly what uh, this team did with some young players like Kevin Smith, who's the team MVP, uh, or a player like Christian Colon, who won a World Series with Kansas City. And then last night, Gregory Polanco, who, who joined Buffalo in September, uh, was released by the Pirates, signed with the Blue Jays organization, and it's hit nearly 400 uh, in his month with the Bison. So uh, this really has gone uh, in a positive direction, and a lot of that credit goes to the players themselves and the coaching staff. Who from this roster for the Bisons has looked very impressive in your eyes and that could potentially have some sort of impact heading into next season? I mean, if there is an MLB season next year, but let's hypothetically say there will be, but which which player from this group has uh, the potential, the highest potential to make an impact with the Blue Jays next season? I think Otto Lopez is the player, and he was called up to the big leagues and had one at-bat against the Nationals. But he's a player that he, he's athletic. He's toolsy, as, as the, the baseball vernacular goes. He hits the ball well. He sees the ball well at the plate. But he can also he can play shortstop. He can play second, third. He can play left field. And for the Blue Jays, if you look at the roster, whether it's Lourdes Gurriel Jr., uh, Kevin Biggio for sure, the Blue Jays like to have players that can move around the diamond and play different positions. And with a team that doesn't have a need at first base, at shortstop for sure, and whatever they do with uh, second base next year, they don't have a need necessarily on the infield the way they would maybe in a, in a corner outfield position. So when you look at going forward, uh, Otto Lopez is one of those players that has very good speed as well, um, and he can play different positions, and he has not looked out of place um, by playing different positions. So he'd be uh, one of those players on my radar going forward. All right, Pat. So, unfortunately for the Bisons, they won't be able to play in any playoff baseball this year. But I do want to shift our focus now to playoff baseball in the major leagues because certainly the Blue Jays are in a race for 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 their lives right now to try and get into the playoffs. They're two games, or they're one game back of Boston for that final wild card spot. It's pretty much do or die right now for the Red Sox and they, or for not the Red Sox, but the Blue Jays, and they need a little bit of help in elsewhere, right? Yeah, and, and the fact that Seattle has played so well. And, and you look back, there was a series against the Mariners. Um, you know, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, against Oakland, uh, where Toronto rattled off their, their run to get back into the chase. They passed Oakland, they passed Seattle, and it looked like it was going to be a three-team race between Boston, New York, and the Blue Jays. But Seattle has crept their way back in. And, you know, you look back over some of the, those heart, hard losses, the, those heartbreaking losses for the Blue Jays, uh, the fact that the Yankees came into Buffalo and won three straight against them uh, back in June and, you know, some of those losses here or there, they all add up. And now for the Blue Jays, yeah, they've got to win out. They, they had an opportunity if they could have taken two out of three from New York this past week in Toronto, they only won one. And you're, stand there, you're standing on the outside looking in uh, heading into the final weekend. That would have been a big win two nights ago if you win that game. Boston lost to the Orioles. So Baltimore did you the favor. 
Um, and it really, that, that's the loss if we look back over the last two weeks, uh, the one that could be the death knell for the Jays. But you know, if you, you take care of your own business against one of the worst teams in baseball in the Orioles today and tomorrow, well, at least you give yourself a shot. And, you know, who knows? Maybe there is game 163, which uh, would be very exciting to see, you know, a, a one-game uh, winner-take-all scenario to get into the one-game wildcard mm-hmm. game. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at the rest of the schedule for all the teams that are still involved. I mean, the Yankees obviously have the toughest challenge. They're going up against the Rays trying to, to close down that number one wild card spot. And the uh, the Blue Jays are facing the Orioles. That's very favorable for them. But then you look at the other teams also in it. The Red Sox facing the Nationals. Nationals, not really great this year. And the Mariners taking on the Angels. And the Angels, yeah, they, they have some talent, but certainly not exactly up to the same level as the Mariners, especially with the Mariners playing as hot as they are. And for Seattle, they've got huge implications, too, because they're trying to snap a postseason drought that is now the longest in North American sports. Yeah, it's funny how that works out. And, and certainly that would be uh, something that, as, as fans of Western New York, uh, no, that was something that always got brought up about the Bills is they had the longest uh, drop playoff drought in North American sports, and then it became Seattle. So I'm sure uh, Mariners fans and sports fans in Seattle want to see that end. And that's, again, why the loss to the Yankees, uh, losing two out of three makes it so tough, is even if you go into this weekend, you'd still have a clear path if you had won two out of three against New York, um, even with Seattle playing the Angels and uh, Boston playing the Nationals. And, oh, by the way, the Yankees have to play Tampa Bay, who have pretty much locked up the, the American League they have. So uh, they're just kind of playing things out to, to, to set up their rotation for the postseason. But you had had a, at least a clear path to get yourself to, to a game on Monday, if nothing else. Um, and that's why the, losing two out of three against the Yankees hurt so much. Yeah. So what's so pretty much now for the Blue Jays in order to have any chance, I mean, obviously they, the first thing they have to do is win out the rest of the weekend. They have to beat the Orioles in both of those games. But what else in your mind has to go right for Toronto to to give themselves the best chance in order to, uh, to I mean, if they make the playoffs, great, but what to make a deep run in the playoffs and make some noise if they hypothetically make it? I think it, it all comes down to their pitching staff. And, and that's what one thing you see in the postseason is, especially in a five-game series, if you can rattle off Robbie Ray, Jose Barrios, who has pitched well since being acquired in a trade, and, and you've got other, other starting pitchers who have pitched well along the way, you, you give yourself a real chance. And Robbie Ray is, is the odds-on favorite for you know, the American League Cy Young. He's pitched uh, as, as well as anybody could pitch. Uh, for the Blue Jays this year. So I think it, it all comes down to pitching. And, and um, the bullpen, you know, at times can be an issue, but you're starting pitching. If you can get that in a short five-game series, uh, I think all bets are off. And then, then you're talking about you know, winning a seven-game series against, you know, someone like Houston maybe where, where you have to go toe-to-toe with them. So I think, it, again, it all comes back to pitching. And um, the youth for the Blue Jays where you got a team where, uh, they have three or four players now that have 100 RBIs on the season. They know how to hit. That's not going to be an issue in the playoffs, and I would not expect um, you know, the bright lights of October baseball to, to be too bright for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette. 
Bison's play-by-play man, Pat Malacaro, joining me right now on the Western Hotline here on WGRs. The Bison's wrap up their season this weekend in Syracuse against the Mets as part of the minor league baseball's final stretch of the 2021 season. They'll be on with first pitch tonight starting at 635 over on our sister station, the Bet 1520, the newly named Bet 1520. Uh, last baseball question I want to ask, Pat, and, and really this is almost just kind of like a uh, – just a, just a gauge of how it was, but like, what was it like for the Bisons to be able to be back at Salem Field after the Blue Jays had left uh, to go back to Toronto? What what was that feeling like for those guys to be back at Salem Field instead of having to be at uh, Trenton all the time to start the season and uh, get Bisons baseball back in Buffalo? Yeah, it was a positive experience, I think, all around. For, for a lot of guys, it was their first time coming to Buffalo. And, you know, when you walk into a clubhouse where – uh, millions and millions of dollars were spent to make it major league caliber. Um, that definitely makes the transition from what was a double A ballpark to uh, one of the top triple A ballparks, if not the best triple A setup in the league, um, that much easier. And to be in front of uh, you know five six thousand fans on a Friday night is something that uh, some of the players had heard about from other veterans who had come through Buffalo before and were looking forward to experiencing. So I think if you're if you're a, a veteran player, Buffalo is a place you're going to want to play in the future because not only of the fan base, but because of the setup. And if you're a young player, you're coming into a situation where you get that big league feel and that big league atmosphere uh, on a lot of nights. And that's something you can't replicate in a lot of these minor league cities where, let's remember, Buffalo's ballpark is the biggest in minor league baseball at, at over 16,000 seats. So when you can have 15, 16,000 people in the ballpark in Buffalo or you have three or four or 5,000 in a different city, uh, it just has a different feel to it. So uh, that's definitely one thing that, that players noticed and have talked a lot about and are looking forward to you know, as we go forward into 2022. All right, Pat. So the Bisons wrap up their season on Sunday against Syracuse, and the work doesn't stop for you. You're, you're going to be a part of the Sabres broadcast once again and being a contributor on a regular basis, helping out here on the Sabres radio network. So looking ahead to this upcoming season, what are you looking forward to seeing most out of this Sabres team, despite them being a team that likely is going to be a bottom feeder once again in the NHL? Yeah, to me, it goes back to, you know, are the players that took a step forward last year? Is someone like Casey Middlestack going to continue to take the next next step in probably be in a leadership role on this team going forward. And some of the young players that, you know, Rasmus Dahlin, as he got better as the season went on last year, are him and Henry Yokiharu able to take charge on the blue line and really solidify themselves as a pairing for this team that, that can go up against some of the toughest uh, lines in hockey. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's definitely not going to be, you know, something that's going to be uh, an easy challenge for them. But are they able to uh, get the better of the other team more often than not. So that's what I'm looking for is those young players that, that we've heard about, we've seen a little bit um, you know, perform in the NHL. Can they take the next step under Don Granato, who I think was the right coach for the situation? And it, 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 you can't just look at it as, well, he was the assistant under Ralph Kruger, so uh, the Sabres just hired an assistant coach who, who just you know, took over the job and, and did an okay job. I thought he did a very good job uh, for the Sabres team last year and really gave them some life and really reinvigorated uh, the roster. And you, you saw that on a nightly basis. It might not have always resulted in wins, but, um, you know, if you're going to lose, at least be fun losing and, and give yourself a chance on a nightly basis. And I think that's what Don Granado brought 
uh, more than anything else is the interim head coach last year. So heading into this upcoming season, who do you think is is a player that's bound to kind of break out, break out of their shell, and and put up a good season this upcoming year? And a chance, like, like you mentioned, with Don Granado putting these guys in really good situations, he's a guy that wants to see these younger players kind of get thrown into the fire and see how they react and, and not be afraid to put these guys in the, the you know, uh, situations where, hey, go out on a power play, go out in the last minute of a game to preserve a lead or, or get the game tied up or whatever. Who do you think is going to take the most advantage of a situation like that and really establish themselves as a key player going forward in this organization? I think it's an easy answer. It's, it's maybe the most obvious one, but Dylan Cousins. I mean, you look at a player like him and in the, the leadership role that he is going to be thrust into and it seems like he wants to take on and as a young player, kind of will be looked at as one of those key pieces going forward. And I don't think that's too much for him. So to me, he's the player that I'll be looking towards. And, you know, again, it, it's a situation where there are going to be nights where as a young player, he's not going to have uh, his best stuff. But the thing that will impress me the most, and it's, it's something you look for, is how do they respond? How do they bounce back after a bad night where they maybe are on the ice and commit a turnover that leads to a game-winning goal? The next night, at back end of a back-to-back, how do they respond? And that's something I, w- I was impressed with with a player like Rasmus Stalin in his rookie season, um, and something that for Dylan Cousins I'll be looking to see on, on a regular regular basis. And let's not forget, you know, last year's season w- was unique; it was different. This year we go back to the traditional. Uh, you know, you play everybody, you go on the road. You, it, it's as close to normal as we're going to have here in 2021-22 season. So. You know, how does he respond in back-to-backs when you leave Buffalo one night and maybe go to New Jersey the next night, you know, early on in the season? How, how do you respond in those games? And I think that's the player. It's an easy answer, but I think it's it's the right one for me. See, I, I, for me, I, I mean, I agree with your points on Dylan Cousins, but for me, I'm really watching to see what Rasmus Dahlin can be able to do because I think in – his past two seasons or season and a half under Ralph Kruger, I think that he was so limited to what he was able to do. And they kind of wanted him to like mold into a certain player that he just wasn't really comfortable with. Then Don Granado comes in and it's just like, hey, let's shed the skin off. Let's let's rip this scab open and let's just start over here. Let's get you going out there, putting you in big situations, giving you the minutes that, you know, probably you should have been playing all this time. And now he's going to get a full season under Don Granado and and likely more uh with his coaching staff. But I mean, what are your thoughts on Darlene? And and just do you believe that he's still capable of being that number one defenseman that so many people, including myself, were looking at as being a franchise number one defenseman uh, in, in the long-term future of the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. Everything you just said is, is 100% right. And yes, I do think he can be that player because I'll go back to what I was just kind of saying about you know what I saw from Darlene in his rookie year is um, I think it was back-to-back nights. He had a really rough game in Winnipeg. Uh, I was at that game, and, and remember the next night he, he, the Sabres played in Minnesota, and Darlene was had a really rough night in, in Winnipeg, but he bounced back the next night, if I remember correctly. And that was one thing. It was still early. It was maybe November. And, and, and a player like that, you know, can, it can really get away from you quickly, or maybe you get sat down for a night because you're a young player and you really had a, a rough go of things, and the coaches want you to see um, from the press box from, from a different view. But Darlene bounced back, and that's the player I'm looking for again. He's going to have situations. He's going to play against the top lines because he is. I, I still believe, like you, that he could be a top line defenseman in the NHL, one of the in the top tier of defensemen. 
it's going to take some work because of uh, the way he was uh, coached the last couple of seasons. But we saw what Don Granado could do with, with Darlene and you know, taking the reins off, however you want to you know, call it, uh, last year with Yoki Haru. They were, they were good. And I want to see them take the next step forward. And on a night where maybe they do get beat uh, by the a team's top pair, how they respond the next game. And that's one thing I will definitely be looking for this year. But I, I agree with you. I think he can still be, you know, a top-tier defenseman in the league. And I'm looking forward to seeing him take the next step. Maybe because uh, because of the expectations of, of, of what, what they were before is maybe one of the reasons why I necessarily don't didn't think of him in the same way. But I, I, I totally agree with you couple minutes here with Pat Malacaro joins us on the Western Hotline. Uh, Pat, I think the biggest question looking at this team, and I think we've already seen it in this preseason so far in limited action, is the answer, the question of goaltending as to who's going to step up and who's going to be able to take the reins of being the starting goaltender this year. Where, where do you see this goaltending situation panning out between Craig Anderson, Aaron Dell, and Uka Pekalukinen, who seems to be getting a lot of opportunity to try and take those reins of, of winning the starting job in Buffalo? Yeah, I think if UPL isn't able to uh, win the starting job in, in the eyes of the coaching staff, then his best place is Rochester. Start the year there, uh, get consistent game action, and let uh, the tandem of Anderson and Dell figure it out from there. And, and, and now, if if uh, Ukapekalukinen has a really good stretch in Rochester, and he is, you know, you, you you can see that he is ready for the next level. Well, then then you make the move. It, I think it's an easy move to make. Uh, in terms of you know moving a goaltender around it and however you want to do it uh, with with the veterans, but I think if if he's not able to win the starting job in camp, and I trust the coaching staff and whether they think he's ready for it or not, then I think you, the, the clear play is for him to go to Rochester, um, you know, ha- work down there, get get his game under his belt and consistently uh, a weekly nightly basis, and then once he's ready to come back to Buffalo, I don't think you have him sit on the bench to play every third, fourth, fifth game, whatever it is, and just kind of go through the motions here in the NHL if he's, if he's not going to be your every night, you know, five out of six game goaltender. All right, Pat, so, I mean, we're, we're less than two weeks now away from the season, and I know it's a full 82-game season again, but where do you think this Sabres team ends up when it's all said and done and you, you're looking at the end of the season next year? Where do you think Buffalo ends up, and, and do they have a realistic chance of, of being able to not be a bottom-feeding team and, and potentially have a chance to compete for a playoff spot at some point? Uh, I don't know if under the current playoff format if they're they're a playoff team, but I, I do think you know you, you cannot finish in, in the bottom of the league again, and, and you you just you have to start showing signs that whatever players are on the roster, whatever talents here, you've gotten rid of a lot of players that were here for the losing. You've got to start showing signs of life, and I do think there are opportunities, um, you know, to, to to be out of the basement and not be a bottom feeding team. But you know, is it realistic to expect them to be? You know, middle of the pack in the division and fighting for a playoff spot, or do you expect them to be you know, sort of towards the bottom, but showing signs of, of progress in maybe winning a couple of games that they probably shouldn't win over the course of the season? I think that's where the expectations for me are is, all right, just continue. You've got to win games. There's no, there's no moral victories. But right. I, I, I don't necessarily see them as the worst, but I don't, I, I, I'm not ready to say that I think they're, they're a team that can, can be a playoff team uh, maybe they surprise. There's always somebody uh, that comes out of the league that you know shouldn't be a playoff team one year, but 
has a has a really good stretch or just surprises and it wins a lot of close games, you know that could be the Sabres. That's the way the league is set up, and that's the most frustrating part of the last decade is you haven't been that team yet. Maybe that's done this year, but uh, you know it's going to take a lot of work to get there. Well, you can follow Pat on Twitter at PatWGR, and uh, you can listen to him over on the Bet 1520 for the final two games of the Bisons season coming up tonight and tomorrow afternoon. Pat, thanks again for taking the time to join me today. Enjoy the rest of the final two games of the Bison schedule. We'll be hearing more from you on the Sabres broadcast coming up. Thanks, Braden. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Pat Melicaro joining us on the Western Hotline here on WGR. And, uh, yeah, Sabre season coming up here very, very shortly as Buffalo will be uh, back in action for preseason action on Monday night at Key Bank Center as they will welcome the Columbus Blue Jackets to town. It'll be a 7 o'clock faceoff. You'll be able to hear all the play-by-play action right here on WGR.